Hello and welcome to week seven of the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by Tomahawk Nation. My name is Tim Allenball. Over the next 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to spend time with a member of the beat of Florida State's next opponent. Uh, Florida State currently sits a perfect 6-0 after dismantling Syracuse this past weekend. Up next, uh, who would have thought it? It is the 5-1 Duke Blue Devils uh, who are 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 crazy to say one of the toughest opponents left on Florida State's schedule to help us get to know Duke a little bit better. Uh, we have Donald Wine of the Duke Basketball Roundup podcast. Excited to uh, be talking Florida State. Donald, how are you? And now I'm thinking, is is Duke five and one or six and one? We are five and one. Okay. Uh, we had the break. We had the uh, bye week. <laughs> so we're we're one ahead of every or one behind everyone, I should say. But uh, okay. yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's quality times here. We, you know, we're the Duke Basketball Roundup and the last few weeks, we've been the Duke football roundup as well. It's been great. Yeah, I was going to say, is it weird being a basketball-centric podcast, but but talking football? But I guess you really don't mind, honestly. Oh, no, we'll take it. I, <laughs> I used to work for the football team as a video guy uh, back when I was in school, and I saw a grand total of six wins in my four years in college. So I am loving Every bit of this. <laughs> well, let's talk about this Duke football team. Uh, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk, we've got to start with the reigning ACC Coach of the Year, Mike Elko, after leading the Blue Devils to a nine and four season uh, in his first year. He has Duke at five and one, just one heartbreaking loss to the beautiful Sam Hartman and Notre Dame. Um, I gotta ask, like David Cutcliffe was a good coach. What's been the secret with Elko? We know he's a great defensive coordinator, but this is largely the same team that was three and nine just two years ago. And there wasn't a secret like Colorado, like changing of the guard. What's going on here with Elko and Duke? He's got everybody bought into his philosophy that they confidence is key. They have understood that entering every single football game we've had this year, starting from that Clemson game on Labor Day to now that they can win. And I, I think it's, you know, it's funny. That's not really a big secret or, you know, a, a, you know, really, you know, huge ingredient when you put this in this broth that we're trying to create here, but it works. And I think the greatest thing is from the time he stepped foot on campus, he said, Hey, I want to do things my way. I, I want to bring my, you know, hard hitting, you know, philosophy of football to Duke university, but I also need the players to buy into that. And I want to make sure that I'm putting them, in the best position for success. And he's, he's done that so far. I mean, even last year, you know, I know we're going to talk about the quarterbacks, but Riley Leonard wasn't the surefire starter. He had to win it in a quarterback competition with Jordan Moore. And what did Jordan Moore do? He just became one of our best wideouts. So like th- that sort of thing where they're like, Hey, put me in position where I can be successful. Put me in a place where I can help the team win. And everybody has bought into that. And so far it's working. And, and I think the confidence is, Walking into that Clemson game and doing what we did against them, I think really helped this team even gain more confidence and say, hey, if that if we can do that against Clemson, we can do that against anybody in the country. We've really seen that at Florida State with a buy-in, like you're talking about. Because when Norvell first came here, there was definitely some players from the previous era that were not bought in. And that team struggled. And now that it's mostly Norvell guys or all Norvell guys, they're bought in, and it, it just totally changes the culture. And it, it's great that uh, Elko was able to come in there and get them all to buy in so quickly. It's been awesome to see that growth. 
Yeah, he he had one. There was an article that came out in the Athletic uh, just a week ago. Great article, and he mentioned that he had uh, one guy in one practice, like one of the very first practices, who was just not giving his all. And afterwards, they basically, or he was twenty minutes late, and was like, "Hey, you're going to stand up to the side. And you're going to watch practice." And then he gave him what he called like an attitude adjustment practice, and nobody was ever late again. And it's like <laughs> that sort of thing where it's like, "Hey." Everyone's bought in, everyone understands their assignment and everyone executes it and everyone holds each other accountable. And I think that is, that's been not necessarily, again, it's not a secret that that's a key to success, but it works. And when it comes to us, we've, we've found over the years that sometimes you just need some of those basic ingredients to make, make all this thing go well. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Riley Leonard, and let's start there when we're talking about the Duke offense. We've all seen the video of the 360 dunk by now. We've all heard about how Coach K would have loved him, et cetera. But uh, this this kid really does a great job leading this Kevin John-schemed offense. But uh, we know Leonard's coming off the high ankle sprain injury, and we're thankful that it wasn't worse because, man, that was a gruesome gruesome injury. So uh, we, we can't talk about quarterback without, without also talking about uh, Henry Beeland. Uh, so where do you feel that both of these signal callers stand out and where might they struggle on Saturday night? And then bonus question, do you have any, uh, insight uh, or insight or knowledge on what you think is going to happen with Leonard? Well, I'll start with the, with the last question there. I know, uh, Mike Elko in his press conference today kind of gave a little more of an optimistic outlook on Riley Leonard starting. Having said that, I have no idea. Um, and I <laughs> am honestly not sure because to get to the root of your question, the difference between these two guys is Riley Leonard can beat you on the ground mostly, but also in the air. Whereas Henry Beelan has a cannon for an arm, but he's not going to run as much. So I think when it comes to Riley Leonard, if you take away his legs and he's not 100%, his ankle can't, you know, withstand, you know, being able to, to push and, and, and pivot and all these things that he needs to do, then it neutralizes him a little bit and he becomes more of a one dimensional quarterback. Now, having said that, he's still very, very good. And I will take an 80, you know, 75, 80%, you know, Riley Leonard on Saturday because I think he gives us the best chance to win. But I think when it comes to him, I think the way that he has been successful is he has beaten people with his arm. He has beaten people with his great decisions with the football and he's beaten them on the run. He was, you know, until this past week, he was our best rusher. Yeah. Uh, and gain the most yards. And it's because he's such a threat. And because of that, every team has come into this, into, you know, this game against Duke going, man, how do I stop this offense without, you know, figuring out and, and, and with him being smart with the football, it's been so difficult to key in on him. So you can't, you can't let him sit back and throw the ball and you can't let him run. And then when he does get the ball off, he's getting it to one of our skill players and they're doing damage. So it's been it's been fun to watch as a Duke fan. But also, I know from, you know, if you're looking at from the opposing side, I know every single defensive room that we've uh, we've played so far, they've all probably just been grinding their teeth at how to stop him. And I think the question now we have is, will he suit up on Saturday? My gut tells me he will. But I think. That is, you know, I, I couldn't give it a, a sign of a chance percentage or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that until the injury, Leonard was the the leading rusher for the team. But uh, Jordan Waters isn't isn't anything to to ignore there. Um, so overall, Duke's averaging like a shade under 200 uh, yards a game on the ground. 
what type of back is Waters? I admittedly, when I watched the Duke games, I watched the Leonard. You know, I wasn't really paying attention to to Waters. So, uh, is, is this a big bruising type back, or or what can Florida State fans expect from uh, from him uh, coming into Saturday's game? He can do a little bit of both. I mean, he can he can ground and pound, but he can also take it out on the on the flank or on the side and go along very very quickly. But also, you have Jacquez Moore. Those two guys have kind of been the two-headed monster at run at the running back position, and both have excelled in different ways. I think Jacquez Moore has been one of those, you know, one of those guys that he can catch the ball, he can, you know, bruise. But I think when it comes to the running game, again, it's almost like a triple-headed monster if you add Riley Leonard to the mix. And the fact that Riley Leonard has led the led the team in rushing, don't discount these two guys in Moore and and Waters because they both are able to just explode with the football. And I think when it comes to Duke, the the ability to be able to run the football has been kind of something that we have not done well in the past. We've had running backs by committee. We've had great running backs, but for some reason we haven't been able to establish that. Look for Duke to establish that on Saturday because if these guys get going, it's going to open up so many avenues for whoever's beyond, behind center to throw the ball. Um, you, you mentioned Jordan Moore switching over the wide receiver. Him and uh, Jalen Calhoun uh, have both picked right up on their successful 2022 seasons, uh, combining for 49 receptions and nearly 700 yards through the first six games. Just looking at these, the bios of the guys, these aren't the tall targets like the Seminole receivers. Uh, where's this duo found success so far this year for Duke? Execution. I think when you're not tall, and you're not super big, and you're not incredibly fast. And these guys are quick, but they're not—they're not speedsters, right? We're not seeing four-two speed here. But if you execute well, you can beat any cornerback in the country. And I think that's what they've been doing so far. They're very smart. I mentioned Jordan Moore was a quarterback, so he knows what quarterbacks like. He knows how to get in the positions where he can get the football and make a play or make it—you know—make a move after the catch. And Jalen Cannon has been incredible at times. I mean. Just this past weekend, he had a 69-yard touchdown where he kind of felt it felt like he just blew by everybody. He did one double move and he was gone. And I think again, their ability to execute their plays, be in the right places, and also adjust on the fly. If Riley Leonard is running, they still present avenues for him to throw the football, which makes Riley Leonard again very, very dangerous when he has the football and he's tucked it under and is starting to run, you know, towards the line of scrimmage. So these guys have been very good, and also a lot of our guys has just been in the right place at the right time, making, you know, pivotal catches and making great decisions with the football or at least making decisions with where they end up on the field. And that's just about moving the chains. And I think, again, previous Duke teams, we wouldn't see them moving the chains methodically down the field, but that's what these running backs and these wide receivers have helped us do. And it's been great because it's it's kind of calmed everybody down on the offensive end, even on those afternoons when we're not really running the ball very well. Um, I hate to hear you say methodical offense because sometimes I feel like Florida State's defense is just death by a, a million cuts. But, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about the success of Duke's offense, in my opinion, it really starts with that offensive line, uh, which is anchored by uh, stud left tackle Graham Barton. But it's not just Barton. It's it's the whole group. I was reading through it this this uh, this past weekend. This is a crazy experienced group with four grad transfers. Uh, tell us about this veteran line that Duke has. It's been incredible. 
and, and this is about continuity. This is about, again, these guys learning how to play with each other. And it's really, really helped, especially, again, Riley Leonard has not had a lot of sacks. He's had not had a lot of interceptions. He's had plenty of time to throw the ball or run the ball, whatever he chooses to do. And this line has been very successful in the one game where, again, you mentioned, you know, we lost the Notre game. We were missing Graham Barton that game, and it really showed on that on that side of the football because he just opens up so many holes. This is the guy you are going to see on Sundays. But a lot of these guys could carve out paths in the NFL as well. I mean, you have, you know, Scott Elliott, Maurice McIntyre, Jake Hornerbrook. Like, those are guys we've heard for a long, long time. Jake Hornerbrook is a grad, a grad transfer you know, Scott Elliott, Junior, Richard Jr., he's a transfer. We have even, you know, Jake Long, transfer. Like, these guys have played well in other locations and have come to Duke, and for some reason they've been able to use that continuity and make it work. And it has opened up so many lanes for our running backs and for Riley Leonard to run the ball, and it also has given him time to make decisions to get the ball down the field. And even last week with Henry Bieland, struggled a little bit, at the quarterback position, but he was kept clean because his the, the offensive line has just been there all year, and we're hoping that it continues on Saturday. Yeah, those aren't those aren't boys on the on the offensive line. Those are like grown men. <laughs> those guys they they be needing cookout, as we say. In <laughs> hey, I had cookout for the first time recently. Sidetrack, amazing. But anyways, uh, <laughs> let's let's flip over to defense. Uh, I want to start on the defensive line. We just talked about the experience and age of the offensive line, but we have to kind of bring that up as well with this defensive line. Uh, specific, you know, two grad students, two redshirt seniors. Uh, FSU offensive coordinator Alex Axon, Alex Atkins specifically mentioned. Uh, defensive tackle Jamie on Franklin, but just like the offensive line, it, it's not just Franklin. Uh, it's an impressive unit. Uh, I looked it up the other day. Eleven and a half sacks so far with this defense or the defensive line alone. Um, where has this group excelled, and where may there be some cracks? I don't know if I said that right. Where could there be some cracks that Florida State could take some advantage? It's interesting because our. our I would talk about the whole defense as a unit. They have worked so well together. And they've and Duke teams of the past have had defenses that give up the big play. And I know we'll talk about the secondary in a little bit, but the the defensive line has been so, so wonderful to watch because they fly to the football. Everybody on this team flies to the football. It's not just how big they are. It's not about how they plug up holes. It's about when they see the football – it's like a shark scene chum in the water. They are, they are just going directly to it. You mentioned, you know, Jamie and Franklin, but honestly, it's funny. Like the, the guy who's kind of the star for me over the last few years has been Dwayne Carter. You have Aeneas Peebles, who has been incredible so far this year. Wesley Williams, a redshirt freshman who's come in and d- done well. And, you know, RG Oban and, and Anthony Nelson keep things going on the ends and make it where they force everybody into the middle where you have it again, you have a Dwayne Carter who's going to be playing on Sundays waiting for you, uh, or Jamie and Franklin waiting for you. It's it's so great how they work well together, plugging up gaps to make it where they force the football, honestly, to where they want it to go, right into their hands or right into their arms. And, and you mentioned some of the uh, the sacks they've done. They've also forced a lot of fumbles, reco- recovered a few of them as well. And it's because of the fact that they're able to, again, fly to the football kind of force it into one path, and then, bam, you see six Duke shirts all around that football. 
trying to make a play. And, and a lot of times this year, they've made that big play. Um, on to the second line, probably the, the unit I feel like that is not talked about a whole lot when you look at defense or the Duke defense. It, it is the linebackers. Trey Freeman is the, is the team leader in tackles. He, and I, I didn't clear this one before with you, Dorian uh, Mossy. Uh, yeah, Mossy. Yeah, mm-hmm. both have an interception. It's another experienced unit. But, I mean, when you talk about the Duke defense, you see what the defensive line's doing. You talk about the success of the secondary. How have you felt the backers have performed this year? I think they've done well. And it's funny you mentioned, I think they've been unsung in a way because we yeah. talk about the secondary quite a bit. We talk about the defensive line quite a bit. And these guys are keeping it all together. Again, you know, Trey Freeman had 15 tackles on Saturday. Like, I don't care who you are, that nobody gets 15 tackles unless they're, you know, either down 60 to 10 or they're killing a team. And that's because this guy is just, again, he has a knack for knowing where the football is going to go and beating that person to that spot. A lot of third downs where it's third and short, even third long, if they need seven, they're only getting five or they're getting four because Trey Freeman's able to stop guys. And I think it with the backers, I feel like that's kind of how they like it. They don't want to be the center of attention because then teams will key in on them. They just want to be able to roam free. Sometimes again, rush to get sacks, drop back in the coverage, get, get interceptions, or again, just every time the football crosses the line of scrimmage, there's five or six of them just sitting there waiting to, to pounce on it. So They've been very good, and I think a lot of times overshadowed, but really exactly where they're supposed to be doing. They're doing the dirty work. They're getting the tackles. They're getting. They're making the plays that need to be made, and at the end of the day, they can take credit in being part of a defense that's one of the best in the country. Um, now, finally talking about the secondary, which all eyes are going to be there with Florida State's uh, so much attention on, on Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. How do you expect the secondary to hand out their assignments when it comes to guarding these guys? I know Miles Jones is a stud back there. Uh, you know, how do you see Duke lining up with Florida State's uh, receivers? I'm not sure, actually, and I'm not going to be able to speculate because I honestly, in a way, I don't care because these guys, like, look, the secondary of this team has been the most improved unit on this football team and it's not close and I'm so proud of how they have worked to limit the big plays and also play clean football. They don't do a lot. They don't give up a lot of big plays. They don't do a lot of, you know, pass interference or defensive holding to get to where they are. They're just playing clean physical football. And you have, I mean, you mentioned the two cornerbacks, but you also have Jalen Stinson and Al blades as, as safeties who were coming in and just absolutely destroying people. I think Stinson, I mean, he had the big uh, fumble recovery and run back against Clemson, but he's second on the team in tackles. He's everywhere on the football field. Al Blades came from Miami up to up to Duke as a grad transfer. He's been killing people. So it's it's the whole unit has basically taken it as a personal challenge that, hey, no one's getting past us and they're not putting points on the, on the board. And when we look at how you know, Duke is fourth in the country in, in points per game allowed, only allowed like 9.6 points per game. The secondary has a lot to do with it because there's not a lot of big plays and teams realize if they're going to score, they better have a short field because most of the points that have come against Duke have come with a short field, maybe a turnover or, you know, something that's gone airy, but um, a muff punt against Clemson. Those have really been where a lot of the points come in. These guys have decided 
that especially in the third quarter, fourth quarter, nothing's getting past him. And that's what makes me so proud about the entire defense as a whole, but especially the secondary, because that has been an Achilles heel for Duke for so, so long. And this year it just hasn't been because these guys have said, you're not going to disrespect us by beating us deep. Definitely going to be an interesting game on Saturday night. Uh, Donald, I really appreciate you being on with us. Real quick, uh, give me your final thoughts on, on how you think Saturday shakes out. You know, we had our homecoming a couple weeks ago against Notre Dame. It was on national TV. It was a 7.30 kickoff on ABC. The eyes of the world were upon us, and we came up just short. It was very heartbreaking. So I feel like they're going to try and take that heartbreak and, and, and apply it to someone else. And sorry, guys, I think it's going to be Florida State this weekend. I know you guys have your homecoming this weekend. Uh, I, I know that these guys have, have circled this date on the calendar for many reasons, but also – you know, no one wants to be the subject of a of a homecoming because they think uh, that's you know that's the game that's obviously the one that they want to want to win. So I think it's going to be 23-21. There's one guy we didn't talk about on this team, and his name is Todd Polino. He's our field goal kicker. He's two for two this year from 50 yards or longer, and he hits a 53 yarder to win it at the end. Oh, that's a big prediction, Donald. I I, I appreciate it. Uh... We'll see how it all goes down. Uh, before I let you go, I'd like to have a little bit of fun. So, Donald, this is a choose-your-own-adventure question. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I, got a, I got a subject of professional wrestling, TV and streaming, or Duke basketball. Uh, what would you like to talk about? TV and streaming all right, or Duke Donald, basketball? What, so, for TV and streaming, I love to see what everybody else is watching because I, I – I like to watch TV and movies when I have time. So uh, recommend me some good TV shows that you're currently watching. This is a great question. Um, the strike is over. The WGA strike is over. <laughs> so there's going to be some more stuff back on TV, which means I need to catch up on a lot of stuff because I'm still catching up on a lot of things. One thing that I've been watching lately is Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, the, oh, yeah. the cartoon yeah. TV show from back in the day. Um, catching up on that so that I can watch Ahsoka, which everyone has said is incredible. Um, there's a lot of documentaries that I wanted to catch up on. I'm a big soccer dude. So, uh, I, I'm very big in the soccer world and, you know, the Beckham, uh, Netflix special, um, everyone's giving me rave reviews on that. And there's like, you gotta watch that. And honestly, those are the two that I've, I've tried to catch up on. But, uh, I, yeah, for me, I watched a lot of the star Wars originals and then didn't watch star Wars for like a long time because I was kind of upset at the fact that as a kid, I was like, why did they just start this in the middle of the, of this, of this whole thing? You give me all these yeah. characters and you're expecting me to know who they are. So I'm catching up on a lot of the old star Wars, um, TV shows, the, the, uh, like Clone Wars I had rewatched and, and some of the, of the cartoon things to kind of catch up with some of the character development. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. My daughter is a huge rebels fan and watches it all the time. So yeah, it's been we, great. We, it's been great. we love the Soka. Uh, and then, I don't watch a ton of documentaries, but one of my favorite documentaries is a soccer one. It was the uh, ESPN 30 for 30, the tell of two Escobars. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I love that one. That's, that's a, that's a great uh, a soccer documentary. Well, Donald, thanks for jumping on with us. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Take a minute. Uh, tell everybody where they can find more about you and, and, and the podcast. Yeah. So you can find me on, at blazing DW on Twitter. Uh, we still call it Twitter over over our show. I'll call it <laughs> Twitter over here. Uh, and also at Duke Roundup, that's where you can find the show. Uh, obviously, we're part of the Fans for Sports Network alongside you guys. So 
uh, come check us out. And if you're into Duke basketball, it's coming up very soon. We have a lot of coverage coming up, especially starting this weekend with uh, our unofficial open the season. Where we're looking forward to uh, seeing you guys on not just on the gridiron on Saturday, but also on the court uh, later on this fall and into the winter. Yeah, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that matchup, but we'll see what happens. Well, Donald, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we hope to talk to you soon. So let's see what happens on Saturday. Uh, Duke and Florida State, 7.30 primetime. Thanks, everybody, for jumping on. This has been the Line of Scrimmage podcast. For Donald Wine, I am Tim Allenball. Let's keep climbing.